Welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. We are your hosts, Bill Taub and Dave Tilly. Hi, this is Bill Taub, and I'm joined with my partner here, David Tilly, and we're very happy to have you listen to our podcast. We joined by a good friend of both David and I, someone we've gotten to know very well, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him, Josh McKelvin. Josh, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Phil and Dave. It's good to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to spending the next hour talking about whatever it is you guys want to talk about. Well, Josh, we, we want to talk about you, and uh, we want to talk a little bit about you know your career uh, in the military, You know why you joined, what you did in the military and how that really affected your life and the life of your family afterwards. So to start with sort of the obvious question, you know, what, what was going on in your life? What were you thinking about, you know, that got you focused on the military and to join the military? Yeah. You know, that's, it's funny. Uh, I know so many uh, fellow veterans who, who uh, joined whatever branch of service because their dad had been in the military or their, grandfather, uncles, or whatever. I didn't really have a lot of veterans in my family. And uh, upon graduation from from high school, um, you know, I obviously had a plan to go to college, but I didn't want to go right away. And uh, um, the more I looked into uh, what my options were, you know, traveling Europe for a year or whatever, like everybody does, I didn't really have the money to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, I was just, I was drawn to, drawn to the military. So I went and uh, talked to, with a couple of recruiters, one in the Navy, one in the Marine Corps, and uh, I was sucked in by the Marine Corps right away. And uh, that's kind of how it happened. And, and um, uh, I'll be honest, it was, it was, you know, when you're 18 years old, I don't think you have a, a sense of duty that you do after you graduate boot camp and you spend some time among some, some veterans. Uh, I was always intrigued by it. Uh, and but I don't think you have a true understanding of what serving is uh, until you start experiencing and being around others. Uh, so I was really looking at it as, you know, to help pay for college and it would be a good life experience. So uh, that's really why I joined. Um, and it, it doesn't come with a patriotic story, uh, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, after the first couple of days of Paris Island, I realized, you know, this is, this is something that, that a lot of people before me had done. And you know, I'll tell you a boot camp story if you want that really struck me. But uh, that's how I, I got into it. So. Well, now I'd love to hear the boot camp story. But what, what was it that drew you, though, uh, right off the start to the Marines? The recruiter, the, yeah, <laughs> the recruiter yeah. challenged my manhood. I, I like the, uh, I, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ribbing between the, the branches of service and a lot of teasing, and that's really what it is. I think there's a mutual respect among Army, Navy, Air Force, and the Marines. Uh, at least I'd like to think that. Um, although I will point out that, you know, if you're a Marine and you want to switch branches of service, you can do that without going to, to their boot camp. But if you're in the Army, Navy, or Air Force, you can't join the Marines. Without going to boot camp, so anyway, I just wanted to point that out. But no, it's I, I went in, into the Navy uh, recruiter's office first, and um, I actually went in with a buddy of mine who wound up going into the Navy, uh, and um, he had no time for the Marine Corps. Didn't want to even go in there, and uh, and I was interested by what I saw, but I uh, went into the in the Marine Corps um, office and. 
you know, the recruiter was, you know, he saw me coming a mile away and said, all right, so do you want to join the Navy or do you want to be a man? And of course, you know, I wanted to be a man and after a couple <laughs> of videos and, you know, um, just a pep talk, there was no, there was no question the Marines were for me. And then I went home and I hadn't told my, my mom <laughs> what I was doing yet because uh, she really was pushing me to just go to college. Um, and she uh, just asked me, are you crazy? Uh, when I got home and that's maybe a little bit, but you know, I was gung ho from the moment I saw that recruitment video right up until the moment I got on the bus down on Paris Island. And then I started questioning my decision, but, uh, no, it was great. It was a great, uh, it was a great spiel by the, by the uh, recruiter and you know, hook, line and sinker all in about 30 seconds for me. So Josh, so what was the reality of boot camp like? And maybe tell us that boot camp story. You know, it's you funny. It, 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 the billet of a, of a recruiter and a, a drill instructor, they, those aren't, at least in the Marine Corps, those aren't their uh, jobs that they signed up for to join the Marine Corps. They're like a special billet that they'll, they'll do for a year. But the, uh, so you could be like in the motor pool or uh, an admin or, you know, out in the field, a ground pounder, and then spend a year as a recruiter or a, or a drill instructor. Well, the contrast couldn't be any more different in personality, right? Uh, <laughs> because the recruiters, they're sweethearts, the nicest guys in the world. And, you know, I mean, they'll tell you it's going to be tough and all that. And, you know, but you can do it and they'll pump you up. And uh, the friendliest guys, of course, their mandate is to get you to join. Um, uh, drill instructors, their mandate is to get you to quit. Uh, and, the, and so, you know, immediately upon landing uh, at the airport in uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, uh, they weren't as friendly as they were when they saw me off from Portland, Maine, uh, which is where the uh, recruit um, uh, MEPS, they call it. That's where we left from. Um, and it was, you know, it was quick awake. It was 4 a.m. by design. You know, everyone's tired. And suddenly you see all these guys, you know, from all over, you know, the eastern part of the country um, being lined up and looking exhausted and they're you know, getting, you know, yelled at and whispered in their ear, you know, all kinds of different things by the, by the drill instructors. And then you're put on a bus, you know, uh, which felt like about 45 minutes and you want to sleep, but you can't because you're too afraid about what's ahead. And of course the bus driver knows that he's, you know, yeah, got a busload of, you know, scared kids basically. So he pulls through the gates of Paris Island and then you see a, a smoky hat, basically in a silhouette under a light down the road. And the, the bus driver at the time, I didn't, you know, I mean, it totally had an impact on me. He's like, Oh shit, you guys got a bad one. And he didn't know who the drill instructor was, I'm sure. But, you know, I mean, it's just, that's the last thing any of us needed to hear. So we're marched off the bus. And, and of course, you don't sleep for another 24 hours. You, know, you go through a whole lot of uh, poking and prodding, get your shots, um, and then the haircut, which uh, really is jarring. That's when you realize, you know, life is different and it's going to be there for a while. Finally, they let you sleep. Uh, and, uh, you know, I really, you never have trouble sleeping in boot camp. I'll put it that way. But, uh, yeah, that was, that's when you realize, you know, this isn't, this isn't day camp or, you know, uh, summer camp or anything like that. But, um, you know, the drill instructors certainly, you know, have, have, a a unique approach. They all seem to, 
drink lemon juice or something uh, to get that that gravelly tone and uh none of them brush their teeth i don't think before the day's work so they intentionally have that bad breath and slobber when they're screaming at you and in your face and you know they're all just very 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 frightening to an 18 year old from new hampshire and, and i don't care where you're from they have this down to a t they scare the hell out of you whether you're from you know New York City, the Bronx, New Hampshire, Vermont, Florida, Georgia. They know what they're doing. And it's by design. You know, they they got to shock your system, break it down so they can build you back up again. That's awesome, Josh. And so tell us a little bit more than just about your career in the Marine Corps, right? after Yeah, uh, I was actually very fortunate um, because uh, obviously to, to join the service, you have to take uh, what's called an ASFAB, as you guys know, basically measures your aptitude and intelligence so they can place you. And uh, uh, my score landed me in the air wing in the, in the Marines, which uh, was uh, avionics uh, and aviation ordinance. But uh, I went to school for that in Memphis, uh, Tennessee at Millington uh, Naval Air Station. Uh, for whatever reason, shortly after that, though, I was uh, transitioned into a uh, NBC, nuclear, bio biological, and chemical uh, weapons. And that's basically how I spent uh, you know, my time in the, in the Marine Corps was a, a chemical weapons technician. Uh, and during the Gulf War, my job was to train, um, you know, the guys to make sure that they got their mop suits on. And I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you've ever worn a mop suit. I'm sure you have, or you know what I'm talking about. It's a charcoal, yes. very uncomfortable suit uh, that, to wear in a desert just sucks. Uh, but that was the threat, if you recall, um, with Saddam Hussein in 1991. He promised a chemical weapons, uh, I think it was a VX capsule for every American serviceman that was over there. Um, and it was real, uh, it was a real threat. And uh, it was uh, something that we, we trained a lot for and prepared for. We didn't know if the Scud missiles we're, you know, uh, all equipped with chemical weapons, but, you know, you saber rattled a lot, so you trained a lot, and, you know, uh, I don't know how much you guys are familiar with the, with the uh, body reaction to VX gas, but it's not a pleasant one, so uh, the, it had the guy's attention, and uh, you learn how to get that on quick and how to drink water and go to the bathroom in it in the event of a couple weapons attack, chemical weapons attack, thankfully. That never played out or occurred, but I like to think we were prepared for it. Um, yeah, so that was that was how I spent my career. But I went to, you know, that required some schooling. Went to uh, NAS uh, uh, Millington in in, uh, in Tennessee, and from there more schooling at El Toro in California, which was fantastic. Uh, an eighteen-year-old kid in El Toro, which was basically L.A. The base is closed now, unfortunately. But that was that was great. <laughs> I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, and then on to uh, Cherry Point, uh, North Carolina, which was my uh, was my which was my base for most of the career until, of course, the Gulf War happened. And then it was a lot of a lot of traveling. But you know, there, there's a lot of bases that are that are great. El Toro is one of them. Other ones, not so much. Spent some time. Twenty nine Palms. That's basically a desert bombing run, which is a Marine Corps base. But a lot of training gets done out there. No distractions. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a whirlwind experience. And you know, the the I tell you, there were two two moments though that really struck me. And I, I was going to tell you about this during boot camp. Um, we had got gotten back from a run or whatever, and. 
uh, I had some gear, take on my boots or whatever. For whatever reason, I had looked under a bench. And on, underneath that bench, somebody had written a date of July 8th, 1964. John Smith, Vietnam bound. I wish I remembered his name. And that's what it said. It just had the date and Vietnam bound. And that's when I wow. this is a real school. I mean, this is, you know, the, the guys that went through these portals, you know, they fought and, and a lot of them died, sacrificed. And that's when it really hit me. Um, and it was such a contrast between, you know, what the guys had to deal with coming back from Vietnam with what we really got to enjoy with the Gulf War, you know, Operation Desert Storm. I mean, it was a big celebration and parade after parade. That came a little bit of guilt because, you know, we knew what some of the veterans had to deal with that came back from Vietnam and certainly wasn't pretty uh, and it wasn't fair. Um, and that's something I always think about when, whenever we talk about, you know, helping out veterans and things like that, these guys right. have their own individual experience and, and some were better than others, no question about it. But I just wanted to share that. I just remember, I'll never forget it. I just wish I could remember the name of the, of the individual because I would have liked to have looked them up, but um it was cool. And it wasn't written cool. by the drill instructor for effect. It just, somebody scribbled it. Um, and it just, you know, I stared at it for a minute thinking, oh my God, this is, you know, when the, when the time comes, this is now, this is now my job, you know, these guys' jobs. So uh, that was well, the awakening right there. Josh, what were you, you touched upon some, uh, you know, some difficult moments, some tough moments. Well, what were some of your most, um, challenging times in the service and and some of your you know most positive i was fortunate dave i mean i, I didn't uh, i wasn't on the front lines i didn't have to see battle uh, I, I you know you know basically my the most challenging thing for me was was uh, just making the stress that went along and making sure i did a good job training the guys who would be in a harm's way to in the event of a chemical weapons attack that was you know, but that's nothing, right? right? Yeah, I'm not the right. guy that's going to be standing there. So uh, there was, I, I didn't have an experience that, that I, there was nothing but positivity for me. Uh, my experience in the Marine Corps, I made some amazing friends um, and and lifelong friends. And you really grow into, it's, it's not hyperbole or, you know, uh, cliche to say that, you know, they make you into a man. They do. I mean, I still had a lot of growing up to do. Don't get me wrong after I get out of there. But it changes your perspective on a lot of things. And, you know, graduating from boot camp was something that, you know, there's nothing like it. It's, it's you know, getting your degree and all that is it's fantastic. And you earn it. And there's something, but... I don't know. For me, graduating from Marine Corps boot camp was something that I will always cherish and never forget. And it's, you know, I have a tough last name, right? McKelvin. And the drill instructors would mangle that thing all the time for, you know, 16 weeks, whatever it was. <laughs> McElveen. And they, and they abused me pretty good because I went in there about 120 pounds soaking wet. And they promised me by the time I left, I was going to be able to bench press my daddy's car. Uh, and boy, did they make sure that they worked hard to do that. And of course they mess with you even if you don't do anything wrong. But upon graduation, the senior drill instructors said, congratulations, McKelvin. I was like, damn, you knew my name all the whole time. Um, and I wound up seeing him out again in the field later after he rotated back out, he wound up going back to the motor pool. And it was so funny. I, I was in, in uh, 
at Cherry Point, walking into the chow hall, and I'd been in the Marines for about three years out in the fleet, having given a thought to my senior drill instructor in quite some time, and I heard somebody say, hey there, Marine. Now, I don't think he remembered my name, but certainly he recognized the face. And I heard that voice, and I immediately locked it up. Just the Pavlov dog response of hearing your senior drill instructor's voice. It, it was, uh, and it scared the hell out of me because it's just, you know, only my senior drill instructor. And I wound up spending some time with him and chatting with him. And it was, it was cool. And it was cool and also kind of disappointing in a way because you elevate your drill instructors almost into a godlike status in your mind. And then, you know, sitting out in the field with him in a five ton truck with his feet up on the dash talking to me like a human being you realize that there are just, you know, regular people. So, and I don't mean disappointing. It's not the right word, but it's just, you know, um, but yeah, Dave, I mean, yeah, you asked about, you know, the challenging experiences of the Marine Corps. Um, I'm sure there are some that I'll probably think about after this, that pale in comparison, obviously to some of the challenges, most of the challenges that other veterans will face. Uh, but uh, it was nothing but a great experience for me and I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's great. <laughs> you, you got me thinking of my old drill sergeant, uh, drill sergeant Swift, who was, uh, <laughs> appeared mean as could be, uh, but also could do the uh, best cadence. Yeah, right. Uh, and the, the games they play with you, it's fantastic. My girlfriend, you know, for whatever reason, I said, hey, send me a stick of gum. Because there was no email back then, no cell phone. Oh, right. So mail was the only way to do it. And she's like, well, and the only thing that you could really sneak in was a stick of gum into a letter. Well, she thought she'd be nice and send a whole pack of gum. Well, of course, the drone starts, they feel it. And they're like, all right, open this up. And and I know I'm, you know trouble <laughs> so you know whether it had it must have been it was one of those big packs too those you know uh with the tinfoil wrapping and they made me eat it all and swallow the tinfoil which and it gave me a bellyache for a while but you know, the games they play you never forget those do you Dave? No. <laughs> i don't know how raw i can get with it but i have another marine corps story um if I could share it with you, it's go, it's, go for it. <laughs> well, you know that you, in the boot camp, you got in boot camp, you got to do everything at the same time. Whether that's shower, eat, you know, get a haircut, and of course go to the bathroom. <laughs> so uh, we we just had a bathroom break. Everybody was told to go in. You have two minutes. Go to the bathroom. Do your thing. Get back out online. Two minutes. You know, after two minutes, we're called. Get back out online. Everybody hustles back out. You're back in the squad base. That's basically online means standing at attention. And because the drill instructor from the bathroom is like, holy shit, what the F is this? And that's just a bad omen right there. And we're at attention, so we can't really look. He comes out of the bathroom holding something in his hand. <laughs> and he says, whose is this? We're like, what does he have in his hand? We don't, we don't know. Well, apparently somebody didn't flush. Uh and the drill instructor decided to reach into the reach into the toilet, pull it out, and said, "Well, if nobody's going to claim this, we're just going to pass it around until someone recognizes it." Which uh, I don't know if this is a story you were looking for or not, but <laughs> it's, it's one of the games they play. And it. it certainly stuck out to me. Um, yeah, 
<laughs> well, they, they, were, they were making you into warriors, right? Into soldiers. <laughs> it's a team building experience, I guess. Probably right. not the most, most hygienic way to go. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, and it never failed. You know, they, they, as a little guy, anytime I'd screw up, uh, they wouldn't make me do push-ups. They didn't tell me to pick five other guys to do the push-ups for me. So, you know, I wanted oh, to... Oh, 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 that's yeah. clever. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, and, and then I'd have to do push, push-ups afterwards. But, you know, I got my ass kicked a couple of times. Um, you know, but you don't screw up anymore after, after a couple of those learning lessons, do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you learn fast, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about life after the Marines, you know? Um, I mean, David and I know, but for our listeners, sure, you know, no, uh, well, story. It's, a, it's, a, it's a different route after I got out of the Marine Corps. Uh, and I really thought about it. You know, my dad was like, oh, you should make a career out of it. And um, but I did give it some consideration, but uh, you know, there's some other things I wanted to do. And once a Marine, always a Marine. Uh, yeah, that, that was good enough for me, but it was tough to say goodbye. There's no question about it. Uh, and getting out and being a civilian again, letting your hair grow. That was kind of weird. But um, uh, I had to go to school. I, I did some school when I was uh, in, but the Gulf War kind of interrupted that. So uh, I had to finish up and I moved to California because El Toro really grew on me. But I went to Central California, Sacramento, uh, finished up school there. And I'd saved up some money when I was in the Marines as well. And I decided to, and I don't know if you guys know this, but um, I decided to be an entrepreneur and I wound up getting into the hot tub business, uh, soft tubs specifically. And at one time at the age of 23, I had five soft tub stores in central California. Uh, Yeah. And uh, I thought I was pretty hot stuff for that. I was employing all my buddies, of course, uh, as sales guys. Um, And one, one day my bookkeeper quit and uh, I hired a new one and the new one said, Hey, you have uh, some payroll taxes that are due like right away about 80 grand, which is about exactly what I, I thought I was the richest guy in the world at the time. I was 23 years old. And I had, I had about that much money. Uh, all of a sudden it was gone the next day. Cause I didn't know, you know, I didn't know about payroll taxes. Right. I'm glad that she did, but, uh, yeah. So I did that for a while, wound up selling the business and then, uh, finished up school. And I always wanted to be a sports guy until I realized that, uh, you know, I'm a big sports fan. But uh, I realized that if you're a sports caster, you got to work during the games. Well, that's no fun. I want to. I want to sit, you know, and cheer and you know, holler and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I transitioned over into news and went to Fresno. Uh, got my first TV gig there. That was TV and news radio, uh, and st- st- stayed in television news. Went from there. Went to Santa Barbara. Uh, on to New Orleans for six years. Was there for Katrina, and that was. Uh, a walk on the moon, no question about that. But I always intended to come home. And when the uh, uh, after Katrina hit, I realized that New Orleans media was going to be doing a Katrina, be doing a Katrina story for the next, you know, five years. I figured that was a good time uh, to start looking back home, and uh, I did. I went to New England Cable News, which is now NBC Boston, and then on a WMUR, which had. Uh, political uh, director's job open and five o'clock anchor. And for me, I think the job of political director at WMUR is the best there is in local news in the country. Of course, being in the first nation primary and the only TV station in New Hampshire, pretty, <laughs> pretty privileged position. So 
that's the short version of it. But uh, uh, did after about 20 years, decided it was time to do something else. And now I'm kind of on the consult consulting side of things. And, uh, you know, the media, the profession of the media has got some issues. That's no, there's no question about that. And I can critique them without having to worry about getting canned for doing it. So. And and Josh, your your whole uh, going back to college and your education. We were talking earlier before the uh, podcast was actually through the GI Bill. It was, it was, and uh, you know, I, I'm not gonna lie. I went through the kind of the the Bluto Bar, 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 Bartowski from Animal House version. Uh, it took me seven years to complete, um, but I wasn't going full time either. And uh, um, yeah. Being in, in 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 school wasn't my favorite thing to do. I wanted to work and and do things, but wound up finishing. And thanks to the GI Bill, yeah, things have changed a little bit. Now you get like sixty grand or seventy grand or something for your education. At the time uh, when I was in, it was ten thousand eight hundred dollars, which covered it, which was great. But uh, yeah, I mean the GI Bill, you can't beat it, right? No, no. What what did um, you know? What what would you say to listeners about? Uh, would you join again if you had the opportunity to do it? Would you recommend a young person getting into the armed forces? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, in a heartbeat. <laughs> I, of all the things I've done and experienced in my life, that was probably the most transformative uh, thing that I ever did was joining the Marine Corps. And, um, of course, yeah, I would recommend you, you got to join. You, there's no help. You, you're joining and you're going by yourself. Now you can go in on the buddy system, but I don't care. There's no buddies when you get to uh, boot camp. You know, they they separate you and you're there by yourself. And it's either sink or swim. And I think for any young person, you got to be faced with a challenge like that uh, early on in your life, so you can adapt and deal with challenges later. And there's no better challenge than uh, having to you know lean on yourself at least initially. Uh, than going to boot camp and doing something by yourself. Eventually, you become part of a unit and a team, and I don't want to undermine the importance of that because it's hugely important. But to join and go and do it alone, I think that's a, it's a, there's growth that goes along with that and some trust in yourself and some confidence. It's a scary thing to do. I would absolutely recommend it. Um, I recommend the Marine Corps. It's not for everyone. Uh, I certainly didn't think it was for me for a long time. And there was more than once I didn't think I was going to get through it. But, uh, uh, you know, being in the service and, you know, boot camp stinks. You know, there's no question about it. But you know, you're proud of yourself when you get through, through it and being in the fleet. You'll develop some lifelong friendships. Hopefully I learn about what service means and, you know, putting others before yourself. And um, Yeah, I mean, I, you know. I'm not a big fan of mandates, and I certainly don't think our country needs any mandates. But uh, if there was one, that's a pretty good one, you know. At least give young people, you know, a taste. So, 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 Josh, you and I first met, uh, you know, through mutual work, helping you know veterans, yeah. veteran service organizations. Interested to hear some of your thoughts you know, about what you see out there in the veteran community and folks are listening, how they might get involved and help. I know you're doing a lot, but talk to us a little bit about that community. Oh, yeah, you guys, I mean, first, 
you got what you guys are doing, uh, Phil, Dave, and what you have done is absolutely amazing. Uh, and I'm not blowing smoke in your direction. Like, uh, I'm blown away with, with what Swim with a Mission has accomplished in such a short period of time. And Dave, you know, your help with uh, Swim with a Mission and, and your work with uh, Children of Fallen Patriots and all, all, the thing that you, all the things that you guys do. Yeah, I'll, I'll MC an event every once in a while, but it's nothing uh, compared to what you guys do. And I don't even want to be put in that same category, nor do I think that I'd belong in the same category as some of the guys that Swim with a Mission is there to help. You know, the Navy SEALs, you know, listen to some of their stories. I mean, I... I I'm a boy, you know, I feel like a boy uh, amongst men, whatever that phrase is, when I'm hearing uh, what these guys had to do, and it's and it's really humbling. So I don't want to, you know, even put myself in the category of some of these folks that have, you know, really been on the front lines and done two, three, four, six, eight tours, you know, in the combat theater of Afghanistan and Iraq, and have sacrificed, you know, blood and lost friends and stuff like that. I just... Uh, I'm I'm in awe and I'm humbled by it. Uh, so that's my first thing when I look at the guys that swim with the mission helps. Um, but you know, it's it's really just it's it's this awareness that's growing finally. I think of what we all owe to these guys, particularly these guys who have fought the war on terror since 2001. Um, you know, Vietnam was an awful. Uh, 10 years for this country. And a lot of guys saw some stuff and had to go through some stuff over there. But this is different, right? And, you know, uh, these are volunteers. You know, there was no drafts uh, for, uh, for the war on terror. And a lot of these guys, you know, did the multiple tours in areas that you know, I don't think we even you know, fully understand uh, what the challenges were like there yet. And that's something that, that, I think about a lot and I think there's a wave coming of, and thank God for, for what you guys are doing, because I think there's a, uh, we haven't hit the crest of that wave yet. Uh, veterans are going to need help as they start to deal and assimilate with, with uh, all they've been through over the last, you know, 20, 20 years. Think about it. You know, it's a lot of tours of duty and guys that have been there for a long time. And the ones that are transitioning back into civilian life, that can be extremely challenging and, um, some do it better than others, uh, uh, but I'm just really glad that there's people like you that have the energy and time and the caring to put together the stuff that, that you guys do. And man, some of these guys are just studs, you know. And that, when I say guys, I mean there's men and women that serve, you know, and do these things. And so I don't mean to make it sound like if we're talking about, uh, you know, the guys here. There's, you know, but it's really amazing. It's just amazing to, to think about the service that they provided and the challenges that they've had to overcome and still overcome. And it gets me just to talk about, it. um, you know, I was thinking about you the other day, Phil, at the event at the, uh, at the ballpark when I had to talk to you about some sort of business, but there was a veteran who had approached you and I wasn't intentionally eavesdropping, but I was compelled by his story. So I listened to it and just the amount of thanks, he was offering you for what swim with a mission is doing to change his life. You know, I was you know, pretty choked up by that. And, you know, if, how you kept it together, I don't know, but it was pretty cool. Uh, what was the question? 
Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> you know, you, you answer the question. Mm-hmm. I was so exhausted. I was too tired to cry, I think. But I ran into that same veteran as an Army Corps medic, and he worked with the Navy SEALs and saw us a lot of tough stuff. And I actually ran into him recently for the second time just last week. I went to a graduation ceremony for two veterans who spent who spent 18 months uh, at Operation Delta Dog. And that's how long it takes at Operation Delta Dog to get a dog. You know, it starts with a, you have to show up twice a week, you know, for six months until a dog chooses you. And that dog becomes your service dog, right? And and then it's another six months of showing up twice a week before you're allowed to take it home. And then another six months of bringing it back, you know, and then eventually after 18 months, you get to graduate. And along the way, you're in a cohort, right, with other veterans. And I did listen to, there was a, a, a man and a woman veteran, each tell their story. And, you know, what they had in common was they were up there talking to, to us, their friends, their family. And I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the, in the house, Josh, I'll tell you, because they were talking about, they didn't realize how much stuff they had to work through until that dog picked them. You know, in this 18-month process, which seems like a lifetime, and each of them did, I think, two tours in Iraq, and uh, they just had a lot of stuff that they were holding in that they finally are working through and getting it all out, and you could see it in the eyes of their parents and their spouses and their children. Like, they've been through a lot that they're finally healing, and yeah, when you you hear that and you see it, you know, you you can't help but just want to do more, right? It's, It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, when that dam breaks, it it goes. Yeah, yeah. I do want to tell you about something just it's, I th- think you'll find interesting is I always wondered how the Navy ended up with the SEALs, right? This elite fighting force, right? How come the Marine Corps didn't end up with it, or at least the Army? I mean, the Army obviously has Delta Force. The Marines have developed their own sort of secret group. Um, which I don't think it even has a name, but, you know, for all the history of things. And I read a book recently, which I'll just tell everybody about, called um, By Water Beneath the Walls. It's called The Rise of the Navy Seals by a Navy SEAL named Benjamin Milligan, By Water Beneath the Walls. And when you read this book, finally, somebody wrote a book about, you know, how the SEALs ended up, the Navy ended up with the SEALs. And it goes back to before they were SEALs, they were UDTs. And the UDTs were created by the Navy, right, in advance of the Marines landing in Omaha and Omaha Beach, right, and D-Day and then later in the Pacific. There was this force that went in and measured the depths, right, and figure out where to go on the beaches and blew up the ordnance and so forth. Very dangerous stuff. Yep. And there was a Marine commandant, commandant in, uh, commandant, excuse me, in June of 1942, the Marine Corps commandant was Thomas Holcomb who, you know, uh, I can only imagine just, just it was a short squat guy. And there had not been a lot of, I mean, these guys have been in those positions for a long time. They were very proud of the history and the tradition going back, what, 200 years or something. And uh, the he was not interested in the Marines having their own uh, expeditionary force and doing it. And so he said to the army, no, we're not going to do it. Even though the Marines like to have all the various pieces and not be reliant on the army or the Navy for anything, he did not want to do it. And that was a pivotal, pivotal decision because the army couldn't figure out how to do it. They went to the Navy and the Navy said, yeah, we'll do it. 
and and they created this fighting force, the UDTs down in Fort Pierce, Florida, where now the Navy SEAL Museum sits. So a little piece of history. And I would check out that book. It just came out. It's really an outstanding book. And UDT, Underwater Demolition Team. Is that what it stands for? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually didn't know a little bit about that, but I didn't know that uh, the, the Commandant Holcomb had passed on the opportunity. It, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we're all fighting for the same side, but... Um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of ribbon that goes on there. And yeah, the Marine has the Marines have the Marine recon units. Uh, they do. Uh, but if you ask a Marine, especially a, a ground pounder, uh, 0311, they'll say the Marine Corps is the elite fighting force. No, um, meaning you know, they're all specially trained. But uh, that is that's cool. And yeah. Yeah, and we enjoy the ribbing that goes on between the, especially between the Marines and the SEALs, but but all of the branches, you know, for us on the sidelines, it's it's uh, it's good stuff. And, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, wait, so what happens? I'm careful not to go too far, though. You never know. I know. We got the Army Navy game coming up. Who do the Marines root for in the Army Navy game? Oh, the Navy. We're still Department of the Navy. Don't. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no question. Oh, I, I, yeah, you know, see, we fight amongst family. I mean, the army guys. Really, that's where. Uh, like I said, the NES Mellington. I was a naval air station. Um, yeah, we, we, I spent most of my uh, Marine Corps career uh, amongst Navy guys, and uh, that's just how it is. So, yeah, there's no question about that. Go Navy. Go Navy. Yeah. Well, we've met some great Marines, including you, Josh. Um, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, David. I think you have a question next. Yep. I mean, that's what I always used to do, and I could, yeah, I had nothing else to say. I'm like, uh, you know, Bob, yeah. I was just going to wrap it up, Josh, <laughs> on that high note, but apparently Dave's got some more questions. All right, lay on me, Dave. <laughs> no, that was a good high note there, too. Actually, I was just, just curious, too, about your time in North Carolina, back, back to your service. We, we, we heard uh, quite a bit about your early training, but how was, uh, you know, your time in North Carolina? Well, I mean, it was, you know, it's, it, it, it was cool. It's, it was in Havelock, North Carolina. And uh, the cool thing about um, uh, Cherry Point is, you know, it's home to the Harriers, the Harrier Jets. Uh, and uh, so we, after having gotten some training in aviation ordnance, got to work on those guys a little bit. But there's not a whole lot. I mean, after coming from El Toro, California, uh, in L.A., uh, and enjoying Southern California at the age of 18, 19, uh, you know, it was kind of a hard come down. <laughs> there's no question about that. But, hey, I wasn't in the, uh, in the Marine Corps to, to enjoy, you know, California girls. So, um no, it was uh, North Carolina was great, and South Carolina was uh, all I can think of. South Carolina is sand fleas, and I'm sure there's other things there that are uh, more appealing. But uh, yeah, right down the road, we did a, a Fort Bragg, uh, probably about 45 minutes away from Camp Lejeune. So it was kind of like a triangle, and there was some cross training that was done. So we did work with some Army guys on occasion. Uh, particularly in the area of uh, NBC chemical weapons uh, training like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, uh, uh, I didn't spend as much time there as I probably would have during peacetime. But uh, uh, once, once Saddam Hussein uh, 
thought it was a good idea to invade Kuwait and George W. Bush gave him a deadline. Uh, as you know, they, we spent eight months building up a force in Saudi Arabia and Bahrain uh, in case you know, Hussein didn't meet that deadline. I mean, <laughs> it, it's funny how that went, right? You know, he had right. to see the, the buildup taking place right before his very eyes. And, um, but uh, I guess he had more faith in his Republican guard than he should have. But at any rate. Uh, and he had a great spokesperson, too. <laughs> Saddam Hussein did? Yeah, wasn't that uh, Baghdad Bob? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's some saber, saber rattling going on. So I didn't get to spend, to answer your question, I didn't get to spend as much time in North Carolina as, uh, and when you're 18, do you really care about going sightseeing a whole lot? Not too much. I shouldn't right. say I was 18, right. I was 20, 21. But uh, um, I didn't really get to experience the Hilton Head or Ashlands or Asheville's or things like that. But, um, you know, it was, it was a whirlwind. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a best some of the best time of my life. And if I could do it over again, I certainly would. Well, I got a, got another question that just came up too. What are, what are some of the do's and don'ts when meeting a uh, Marine as a civilian? When, uh, when meeting a Marine as a civilian. Yes. That was a question that just popped up. Yeah. So sometimes civilians are just not sure, you know, like, are you a retired Marine or you're a former Marine? Right. Like often oh, you don't know uh, no, I mean, once a Marine, always a Marine, but you can be retired. And uh, I, I'm not sure how that, <laughs> that the whole thing goes, but you're part of a brotherhood. And whether you're a civilian or not, um, um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of in the habit. If I know somebody's a veteran, I like to thank them for their service. Uh, and, you know, it's they'll ask, hey, did you serve? And I'll tell them and they'll thank you back. Interesting story, though, the other day, you guys know the name Ryan Pitts. Uh, New Hampshire native yep. uh, won the Medal of Honor. I was uh, um, at a restaurant uh, in Milford. I won't name it because uh, the story I'm about to tell isn't too flattering. And they were taking forever with a takeout order. There's a long line. And I'd had a long day. I'd been doing some uh, renovating at the house that we just purchased. So I was tired and hungry, and it was taking very long. And everybody's wearing their masks. And the guy that was sitting next to me, you know, I could tell he was eyeballing me, and I, did, I didn't know if it was from Channel 9, and I didn't really feel like, you know, doing any small talk, so I kind of kept my head down. But after a second, uh, he did catch my eye, and he goes, hey, how you doing, man? And I said, good. How are you? He's like, you don't know who I am, do you? And he pulled his mask down, and he's got the big beard now. He's like, it's Ryan. I was like, oh, man, Ryan. And then this is the cool part. Everybody that was in line, are you the guy? And he says, puts his mask back up, and he's so – humble and been shy about it and uh, yeah he doesn't identify as being an army veteran or much less a medal of honor winner uh and people were thanking him and i thought that was super cool but i don't think there is a do and don't when dealing with a veteran uh, you know let them know you appreciate what they did but you know I, it doesn't you know they're people and, and whether they uh, receive the medal of honor or not um you know, it's 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 a cool thing to recognize it. And, but the real important thing is if a veteran is out there and you can, you know, lend them a hand like you guys do, that's the best thing you can do if they if they need it, right? Because uh, they're the ones that, you know, we owe them a lot. We owe them pretty much everything, if you think about it. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's frustrating to think that of all the 
luxuries and the wealth this country wastes in so many other areas. And uh, we have veterans that are out there struggling and homeless or dealing with addiction, uh, behavioral health issues, mental health issues. Uh, those aren't the first guys in line. Uh, I think they should be. Right. Right. And I know you mentioned earlier to the, uh, well, just the challenges that our uh, men and women in, in uniform have when they, when they come home, yeah. when they uh, reintegrate into society and some, uh, well, I think that we do a much better job than we used to with uh, folks coming home and more seamlessly uh, transferring uh, the service members into the VA system, for example, and, uh, you know, and, and rec recognizing while they're in the service, the challenges more that they're facing with regard to uh, education around uh, suicide prevention, things like that. There are still, um, you know, I, I see it uh, where I'm at to this day, there's still uh, scars that, uh, service members go through when they come home, whether it's physical scars, uh, loss of uh, limb injuries, wounds, or whether it's uh, post-traumatic stress and, and uh, um, mental health issues or uh, uh, family separation related um, issues, those, those uh, scars and issues, you know, still remain in their something that um, is difficult to uh, prevent if you're in, in military service and in harm's way. But what's- uh, It's always there. It's always there for a lot of these guys. It doesn't just go away either. So um, yeah, a recognition of that and availability of help is crucial. So your day job is just as important as what you do in your in your hobbies, Dave. and and. Yeah, I just without guys like like you and Phil and uh, so many others out there that put together these these events and awareness, that's part of it, right? The education and letting people know that they're you know these guys are in need. They don't come home. They're not just tough guys that you know just slip right back into society and everything's fine. There's a lot of challenges, and, and you don't have to exploit any of those stories, but the recognition that they exist and finding out a way to help them assimilate and give them the hand up after they've been doing everything that they've done for us. I think it's uh, more than a worthy cause. No. All right. If it goes unchecked, that's when we start seeing statistics that are just mortifying in terms of suicide. And, you know, a lot of these guys winding up prison or homeless or worse. Yeah, that's right. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's heartwarming for me to see though on, on the positive end too. And, New Hampshire, how much our uh, our state and our country takes care of, uh, you know, appreciates now more and more our veterans, and the, and there's so many great organizations, you know, out there that are that are supporting and helping. Like we've mentioned, Swim with a Mission, uh, Children of Fallen Patriots, Veterans Count, uh, where I'm at, Harbor Care Veterans First, but and also I would be. Uh, remiss to say the Homeland Heroes, who we are hosting this podcast for. And uh, so, um, 
and about Homeland Heroes too. Their their tremendous work, just uh, taking care of our uh, our veterans in need at, that in every type of uh, household need that you could possibly uh, imagine for our homeless uh, veterans. They they literally can provide uh, brand new to lightly used furnishings. Uh, uh, dishware, washers and dryers. Uh, they're even helping out with things like uh, Uber cards to get to transportation appointments for jobs. So, uh, you know, on the positive side too, it's just heartwarming to see so many great uh, organizations and and uh, folks. And I know Phil mentioned earlier too, with regard to, uh, uh, you know, having, um, uh, Pets too, whether it's um, service service connected okay, or sure. emotional or emotional support animals, or um, we've we've got uh, some of our veterans too through uh, equestrian and therapeutic uh, uh, horseback riding. So it's it's um, I, I think it's just great to see though so many folks getting together, uh, you know, working on that. And and working uh, to support our vets. I love the creativity involved with it. Yeah, the horseback riding. You know, introducing them to the arts and you know, there's so many ways to to help. And yeah, therapy isn't just lying on the couch. So I applaud everything that you guys do and thank you for all you do. Well, thank thank you, Josh. Thank you for all all you do. All all you've done as a uh, you know former Marine and what you're doing in your. Uh, career and your and your public service um today that's how uh i know both phil and i met you through your news days at wmur but really got to know you through your uh great work supporting so many good worthy veterans causes and, and I now know we can we, talk like real people now that i'm not a reporter anymore right we can be friends right. now <laughs> 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 uh, we've always been friends. <laughs> but no, well, we, Josh, we can't thank you. Thank yeah, you enough. I want to add my thanks to you. Yeah, sorry, Dave. I want to add my thanks to you. You're a great American, and I really, you know, we both appreciate you coming on to uh, to this podcast and sharing with us your story. Right? Not not everyone's willing to do that, and you know, look forward to seeing what you're doing in the next chapter of your life. And you know, the Homeland Heroes Foundation and what we're doing here, we appreciate it. You got it, guys. I appreciate the opportunity uh, anytime. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. This podcast is a co-production brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. And Dairy Cam who believes a better world starts with a connected community. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org and dairycam.org. Follow the Homeland Heroes Salute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening, and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Heroes Salute wherever you listen to podcasts. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. Views expressed in this podcast do not represent any of the uniformed services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, Swim with a Mission, Harbor Care, Veterans First, or any other organization.